At this point, like my life is flashing before my eyes. Like I'm literally three lines into my Shark Tank pitch and I'm about to blow it. I had like, I had, I had lost all hope. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like thinking this is it, like this is, this is the end. Uh, but then what happened? So this is all back to your, your, um, your question. They all started kind of like cheering us on and kind yeah. of encouraging us. So a uh, Cuban especially said, it's all right, man. It happens all the time. You got this, you yeah. know, something like that. And I remember I kind of latched onto that and I was off to the races, right? I, I remember hearing him say that and I was like, I got this. And then we just, we crushed the rest of the pitch. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey telling the stories of leaders, founders, CEOs, and people making an impact through business investing and entrepreneurship. We take an unconventional approach that leans into thoughts and ideas not often publicly discussed. We'd love to hear from you by emailing us at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort Podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts. Hey guys, this is Chris. Thank you for joining me for episode 49 of the Fort Podcast. I am doing a part two with Patrick Cadu. Sounds like canoe uh, today. You might recall we did an episode earlier last year. Patrick has a fascinating direct-to-consumer uh, men's, uh, what do we call it, men's? Shaving and Shaving grooming. and grooming yeah. wear company called Supply. And during that episode, he was um, had already done the Shark Tank experience, ended up going on Shark Tank, but we weren't able to talk about it then. And so we thought it would be fun to talk about kind of what that whole process was like, what life has been like after Shark Tank, and then a few other kind of interesting topics about his business. So thanks again for coming in. It's an honor to be here. I know. Thank you. It's an honor to have you. Uh, yeah, I'll just dive right into it. So you were here last time. You had already done the show and recorded it. How far uh, in advance was the show recorded before it aired? And uh, how hard was it to keep a secret, I guess? Uh -huh. <laughs> Extremely hard. We filmed in June of 2019, which is pretty standard. They film in June. They film big blocks in June and I think September or August every year. Um, so we filmed in June. Uh, we applied earlier that that year, maybe in March, we, we applied, filmed in June, and then we aired November 3rd. So November, th okay, yeah, I think we probably did it in October then. Yeah, when you and I last talked, yeah, yeah I think we're in, we're in October. I don't know if we actually knew we were going to go on. The challenge with Shark Tank is you don't, you're not guaranteed, even if you film, even if you get a deal, you know, in the tank, you're not guaranteed an air date. And not only that, you're if you do get one, you're only given a three weeks head uh, heads up. Oh, really? Advance notice. So, so how, uh, so if you recorded in June, when did they actually let you know that you had a spot? on the show three weeks before november 3rd no but i'm talking about if you recorded in june mm -hmm. when did you know that you were even getting onto like shark tank that i pitch? that i was going to record yeah like maybe two weeks before it's all last minute stuff it's all the, the entire process from the very first day you audition to the day you air is all we'll let you know when we let you know so can anybody audition 
Anybody. Uh, in fact, I auditioned three years in a row. It took me three years to get on the on the on the show. And the first year I auditioned is the way everybody does kind of the first time around, which is they go in person to a – basically Shark Tank does a road show every year starting in January and they stop in major cities and they stop in Dallas yep. at one of the convention centers out there. So I auditioned in 2017. Um, literally like the week I quit my job, I auditioned at, at Shark Tank in Dallas. And both of those years that you were just kind of told – no or yeah what's funny is the first year i got really far in the process so far that i was convinced i was going on um and they cut me like a week before airing before taping so i didn't i didn't actually go out to tape <clears throat> the next year i got one email deep in the process it was literally one email and they <laughs> said not this year and then the next year third year i almost didn't apply i felt like you know i've kind of had my chance they said no real fast last year and just by i don't know why some stroke of luck i sent in an email and they said, you know, let's have a conversation. And it turned into us airing. That's awesome. Yeah. How, uh, so you kind of get involved. How, like, how long does it take you to perfect your pitch and your display? And I mean, the displays year over year continue to get better and better. Yeah. It, it seems like people have, you know, a lot of time to kind of prepare and, what was that like for you? Yeah. So to really nail it down, I mean, things move pretty fast once you get kind of real close to airing. So it was probably a two to three week kind of nailing down the pitch and the um, set. But um, what's funny is the the pitch you heard, if you watch the show, November 3rd, was literally the, the pitch. It's not the exact same pitch. But it was basically the pitch that we wrote the very first year I applied. Okay. So the same pitch. I worked with the same producers the entire way through all three years yep. and used the same pitch. And the same design, set design that we used was the original design I used three, three years prior. So we had had a few years to, to yeah. think about the pitch, but uh, really nailing it down, it was just a couple couple weeks. Do they give you the producers or do you find your own producer? So they have like, I don't know, I'm going to maybe use the wrong terms, but they have like a, an executive producer team over the whole show. And then they have little, not little, but they have smaller teams of like two call them associate producers that are assigned to, you know, con contestants. You're, you're technically not a contestant, but, uh, cause it's not a game show, but, um, you know, so I had two assigned to me that yeah. I kept being assigned to. So you're, you're ready. Uh, I'm assuming you, uh, they film in LA. Is that right? Yes. Outside of LA, I forget the name of the town, but yeah. So you fly into LA yeah. kind of the day before your pitch. What are you, you wake up that morning? What's what's the day like? Nervous as hell or just pumped or yeah? What? This is a part that I am sworn to secrecy. I can't really say much about, but yeah, essentially. And again, it's um, you even if you fly out, you're not guaranteed to to walk out in front of the shark. So like oh, wow. you're literally finding it out as you go. <laughs> Um, and so you fly out. Uh, I can't really talk about the process of what happens once they get you out there. Yeah. But um, I mean, it, the, end of the, the end of the story is you wait until you're called out to pitch and um, you go out and you pitch and you spend anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour on the floor. I can kind of I can talk about that experience. Yep. And um, and that's it. I mean, it's it's the most real reality show you can think of. Right? So there's, there's no you. You know, it's not a big act or anything. There's nothing like those doors open. If you ever watch the show, you know, the doors open, you walk down the hallway, those doors open and it's your show. Yep. Like you screw it up, you know, it's on you. There's no do-overs. There's no start-overs. In fact, you know, perfect example is the fact that I screwed up my lines. I was going to ask, but you got right <laughs> into it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I screwed up my lines and, you know, 
They don't stop rolling. They don't say, okay, you know, try that again. Yep. They do coach you um, before you go on. They say, if you screw up, you know, take a breath, start over. You know, if we if we want to, you know, we can splice it, you know, because they do a lot of editing afterwards. They edit, you know, 30, 45 minutes of airtime into about 10 to 15 minutes. So I, I, rem- I we, can t- we can talk about it, but, you know, <laughs> I basically screwed up my lines and uh, they just they just kept filming. And uh, that's your time on the floor. You make what you can of it. And Did Mr. Wonderful say, this is only the biggest moment of your life, Patrick, <laughs> as you're screwing up? I've seen him tell other people that. He, You know, what's funny is, uh, so those that, that didn't hear the show, like I, I basically forgot my, my pitch like three lines in. There's my, my wife and I, Jennifer, that were pitching together. And like, I can't tell you how many times we practice this pitch. <laughs> Probably hundreds of times. Yeah. Um, everything from inflection to hand movements to facial expressions to words. And um, we practiced it so much that I ended up forgetting it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I, I forgot my line. I said something like, oh, shoot. And then I, I, I remembered. I, I had the clarity of mind to remember, okay, stop, start over. Yep. Like maybe they'll splice it. So I stopped, started over. Second time through, I still couldn't get it. <laughs> so uh, at this point, like my life is flashing before my eyes. Like I'm literally three lines into my Shark Tank pitch and I'm about to blow it. I had like I had I had lost all hope. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like thinking this is it. Like this is this is the end. Uh, but then what happened? So this is all back to your your um, your question. What happened is if you watch the show and this is exactly what happened, they all started kind of like cheering us on and kind yeah. of encouraging us. So uh, Cuban especially said, it's all right, man. It happens all the time. You got this. Yeah. You know, something like that. And I remember I kind of latched onto that and I was off to the races, right? I, yeah. I remember hearing him say that and I was like, I got this. And then we just, we crushed the rest of the pitch. So anyways, to answer your question, uh, they didn't beat us up. And in fact, they encouraged us. And we, we, we believe that it was a really uh, it ended up being a very successful show, very successful pitch. And we think that was part of our success was that we came off very like, you know, we didn't come off like, you know, pompous jerks yeah. and, you know, we know everything. We know we, we came off like normal people that screw up and kind of helped us, you know, uh, establish some rapport with the sharks from the from the beginning. I love it. There's nothing wrong with being human. So how long was the pitch? It was you you walk out, you go down the tunnel, dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so it was, um, and so they actually, they don't play that music. So it's Oh, that's silent. just for us. Yeah. It's just for TV. So it's silent when you're walking down the hallway. Uh, you walk down the hallway, you've got your mark on the, on the rug that you have to go to. And then you stand there for about a minute, um, just silent while they're kind of getting some establishing shots. And Jennifer and I, we lost all track of time. It, it was like an alternate reality we were in. And yeah. so like, we don't really remember uh, like uh, how long we were in there. I say it was about 30 minutes. She says it was about 20, but it yeah. was, it was relatively quick. Uh, some people go up to an hour, but ours was really pretty quick. So you finish the pitch, um, you make it all the way through, and then the questions kind of start coming. Was there a point even in kind of the questioning where you felt like this we might not be getting a deal mm. or was it kind of positive momentum all the way through? We had a lot of, a lot of positive momentum, uh, which we're really grateful for. We were, I mean, we were ready. Every yeah. single question they asked, we had practiced. Yeah. Um, in fact, 
we did like four, at least four dry runs with friends and some strangers, like friends of friends, you know, that really grilled us with questions. And those were, you know, really instrumental to, to preparing us. So we were ready for all the questions. We really nailed them, we felt like. But pretty early in, I remember thinking, oh, we're already here because like 15 minutes in, uh, three of the sharks were already gone. They were already out. Yeah. And uh, so, and it dropped like flies. Like Lori was out. Uh, Daniel Lubetsky, I, I believe is his name. He's the CEO of Kind Bars. He was our guest shark. Um, he was out and then Cuban was out. Like, okay. They, like they all fell in like three minutes. Yeah. And I remember thinking, <laughs> so I remember thinking first, so Lori went first and she started kind of going into her spiel. And yeah. I remember thinking, oh, we're here. Like she's about to either make an offer or not. Yeah. And so she dropped off, Lubetsky dropped off, and then Cuban dropped off. And then I, then I remember thinking, oh, we're here. Like I've already lost half of them. And I, you know, we better make sure that something comes out of the rest of these two. So we had a lot of positive momentum, but then, you know, when they all dropped out, we were we were really sweating about so what there was happened. Robert and Mr. Wonderful. That's were correct. Left. That's correct. Lori couldn't find a way to sell your razor on H H. What is it? Yeah, QVC. QVC. Yeah, and that you know what's yeah. funny is they all kind of have their thing. We knew Lori would be out. Well, we we were pretty confident. We knew Lubetsky would be out because yeah. he's you know food food guy. And then we were hoping Cuban would be in, but we knew he was maybe borderline. That was kind of a question. Do you have some sharks kind of targeted that you were hoping for, Cuban? Robert and Mark were were kind of who we were hoping for. No Mr. Wonderful. No. Nothing against him personally. His offer would have been like, I want $10 per razor yeah. in perpetuity. And <laughs> Actually, he did make an offer. Uh, and if you go back and listen, and you know, in retrospect, his offer was a lot better. So we ended up taking Robert's offer, and we we kind of get to that. But um, his offer was actually, in some ways, a lot better than Robert's. Oh, offer. really? So what happened was after the three dropped out, Kevin offered five uh, percent. Three hundred. We were asking three hundred k for for ten percent. Yeah. Kevin offered a three hundred k for five percent. So lower than what we wanted, but he wanted a $1 royalty, yeah. which is what he typically does. And then Robert came in and offered 300 for 15 straight, straight across. We knew we didn't want to do a deal with Kevin. And the reason <laughs> was, number one, royalty. We weren't interested in royalties, although looking back, that was a pretty good offer. Yeah. Um, and then number two, we just felt like, and I like him as a shark, but personally his brand doesn't really match up with our brand the way that Robert's does. So we knew we didn't really want to do with, deal with Kevin, but we also knew we were willing to go up to 15 with Robert. So as, as soon as Robert, you know, uh, offered that, we were really anchored on that deal. Did you much. try and negotiate it or did you just take it? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, we we tried. I mean, yeah, very poorly. With, with, one, <laughs> with one shark left, the, the leverage. Yeah. yeah, the leverage was gone. And uh, I remember, so the funny thing about the negotiations is I was talking to Jennifer ahead of time. I've done a lot of you know, part of my MBA, I took a lot of classes on negotiations. I consider myself, a, you know, not, a, not an amazing negotiator, but a decent one. I was telling Jennifer ahead of time, like, I'm going to, nobody ever negotiates hard with these guys. You know, I, I'm going in and I'm going to, you know, make sure that I give it to them. And I, you know, I was, I was convinced I was going to, you know, talk them down with my data points that I had gathered. And uh, I remember in the moment, uh, I don't know if it comes off this way when you watch it, but personally, uh, looking back, it feels like I was like Robert goes, you know, 15, uh, 300K for 15%. And I remember feeling like, 
oh, you know, right? Would you be Would you yeah. be interested in like? Would you perhaps maybe I'll do? I'll take fifteen. But would you do? <laughs> would 10? you maybe do twelve and a half percent? And he's like, no, no, not interested. Oh, would you maybe give me a little more money? No, no, not interested. And okay, I'll take your Done. deal. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't give it to him at all. Um, so I, I think I was more concerned in that moment about losing the deal than than closing, and yeah. I didn't I didn't want to lose it. What'd you do that night? How, what what happened? You you walk out of the tank. You have a deal. I'm sure you called your family. Did y'all celebrate? Did you? Yeah, called called the family. Uh, we went uh, and celebrated. Jennifer and I had a great dinner. Had some good drinks and just. Uh, what's funny is we we spent like the next three days recalling what had just happened because it was like we blacked out. And then we got out and for, for the next three days, we were constantly going, do you remember when such and such happened? And we're like, no, I don't. Yeah, actually, I do remember when that uh-huh. happened because it was just such a, such a, like, we just kind of, it was like we blacked out, yep. <laughs> came out on the other side. It's such an amazing story. If, if you listen to episode one, uh, Patrick does a Kickstarter, gets all of his razors in. They're not working. He's got to email everybody and tell them they, you know, they've waited 10 months too long for a product that he still can't ship. I think it was like $50,000 that you had raised. And, you know, then three years, four years later, you're uh, accepting a deal from a Shark Tank. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be just such a cool moment. It's pretty phenomenal. We're grateful. We've had a lot of wind at our backs and we're thankful for it. So, <clears throat> so they, I'm sure they tell you whether you get a deal or not, if you air, you better your website better be ready because you're going to get some traffic. What did you do in the days leading up to, or the weeks, whatever, leading up to Shark Tank to kind of prep for the rush? Yeah, so that's where the cha- therein lies the challenge, right? Because nobody's supply chain that I'm aware of can deliver products, you know, in, in less than three weeks to a warehouse. So, you know, we had a choice to make after we filmed. Um, are we going to go all in and buy a ton of inventory? Because at that point, you know, we were, you know, and we're still a small brand, but, you know, we were, we were much, much smaller then. And we had maybe, maybe at the time we had a hundred K in inventory, maybe. And so you've got to make a decision. Like, are we going to go buy a bunch of inventory in the hopes that we can sell it because we're going to air on, on Shark Tank? Or are we just going to kind of, you know, do business as usual and then just sell out and, and not take full advantage of this moment? And, uh, you know, we, we really thought, long and hard about it. And we decided, you know, we've spent this much time trying to get on the show. The airing was phenomenal. We felt like our odds were, excuse me, that the filming was phenomenal. We thought our odds of airing were very good because the filming was so good. And plus, because we got a deal, they like, they like to film success stories as much as it seems, you know, they, they have every, they, they have people that they kind of dunk on every now and then where they didn't do so well, but like they're in the business of, you know, telling success stories. They love telling success stories. So we felt like our odds were really good. Yeah. And then we filmed in the earlier block. So we felt like our odds were good that we were going to air earlier in the season, which starts like August or September every year. So we were, we just decided, you know, best case scenario, we air in November, right before Black Friday, right before Christmas, which is typically a huge time of year for us anyways. And we're just going to have to plan it. And if we don't air, then we'll just find some other way to sell all this stuff. So it's a long way of saying we placed some huge purchase orders, got some loans because we couldn't wow. we couldn't close a deal with Robert until we were we it it took time takes time to close the deals yeah. on Shark Tank um, months sometimes I've heard some people it takes up to a year to close the deal yeah. so you don't get the money you know right after the show so we took out some loans bought a ton of inventory probably three to four x more inventory than we had ever housed and um, had it sitting in a warehouse pretty much ready to go. And you, they're not even hinting at you that 
you're going to be airing or when. You're just kind of going by gut feeling. Do they ever not air episodes that actually are successful? Yeah, they do. I mean, it's it's rare, but I, I have talked to people who have gotten deals on the show and have not aired. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you, you take a risk. You get loans and yeah. you beef up on inventory. Yep. Uh, it airs at like 8 o'clock central. You, yeah. You're, you're probably night. done at, I think you were like the second or third guest of the evening. Yeah, we were evening. the third. Yep. Uh, so about 8.45, you had the party. You had, you had a watch party. I was sad I couldn't attend um, at your office. So I'm sure you're watching and then you're kind of starting to look at the yeah. computers. Like what happens by like 9 o'clock that night, 10 o'clock? Yeah, so we, we aired at 8.45 and I think probably by... I'm kind of making it up, but probably by 10, 10 o'clock, we had already hit a record, clearly hit a record day in sales. And, you know, obviously by, by you know, in just two hours, we had already hit a record day. Um, and then the next day was an even bigger sales day. Um, so we hit a record and then we beat that record the next day. I don't honestly remember any of our traffic numbers. Didn't pay much attention to them. Um, I actually tried not to pay any attention to anything that night. Um, my goal of that night was just to kind of celebrate, you know, we, I think we've talked about this before, but you know, as, as an entrepreneur, we don't really, I don't celebrate wins enough. So we just threw a huge party and we, my family came in, friends came in and we just, uh, we just had a good time through, through a good party. And then, you know, I checked the sales, of course, you know, before I went to bed and, uh, you know, I had some of my employees on customer service emails, you know, cranking out emails all night. But, um, other than that, we went to bed and, and got to work the next day. That's awesome. Uh, so you have a record, you know, your best day ever in a matter of hours mm-hmm. with an airing. And that's literally, I guess, just people that are watching the show that go directly to their laptop after the show and start ordering. Um, it's interesting. I've never been that type. I've never ordered yeah. something directly from watching it. I've ordered it later on. But yeah, I guess there's a whole world of people that need to have it now. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, there there were probably somewhere between two and three million people that watched that night. Yeah. And if I had to guess, we we had maybe maybe a thousand, uh, maybe seven hundred, uh, probably probably eight hundred orders that night. That's awesome. Um so you know it's a pretty yeah it's a pretty low conversion rate, right? Eight hundred people out of three million. You For know, sure. I mean it's um that's pretty great. So uh anyways, I mean you're gonna have some people buy stuff when yeah. they you know when they when you go on Shark Tank. Did you have any blow-ups the the system couldn't handle all the rush or everything worked out smooth we had some big challenges um as much of a as a high it was for us that night which it was probably you know it was definitely a high point for our business to date um we really had a hard time keeping up with with the volume so um so that day was a record day by the by the 5th of november which was like two days after airing we had already hit a record month you know, so we did in five days, you know, what we typically do in a month. Yeah. And then Black Friday came around and then Cyber Monday came around. And so we, you know, we did 4X, you know, in no- November. I don't I don't mind sharing because I yeah. posted it on Twitter. You know, we did a million dollars in November. That, awesome. And that was 4X what we had done in October. And, um, you know, like things are going to break when, yeah. <laughs> when that happens. Uh, and we honestly, um, they really broke. And in terms of just we had processes and at the warehouse break, customer service issues, ang- angry customers. You know, we, we ended up making everything right. But yeah. um, it was rough going there for a little while. For actually. sure. Yeah. Well, you learn kind of where your kind of weak spots are yeah. in your process and you probably you're a lot better for it. We're better for it. And then we'll be ready again. You know, this kind of Black Friday, you know, come around. Hopefully we'll even beat those numbers again. 
Are we able to talk at all about the deal with Robert? Yeah. So um, I can't uh, can't say too much about the details. Yeah. But we ended up uh, we did not close the deal with Robert. Yeah. Uh, we ended up walking away from the deal. It ended up being um, uh, a little more sharky than we uh, things. The sharkiness doesn't end on the air. It continues during negotiations. You know, which is understandable. Yeah. But. I think what I can say is that, uh, you know, we're happy. Um, I tried to close the deal. I wasn't one of those people that just went on for the, for the, you know, for the publicity, although right. that was certainly probably the main reason. Worked hard to close the deal, but we could not come to agreement on some of the terms. Um, you, you've probably heard, you know, the, the phrase set, set the price and I'll set the terms. Yeah. yeah. He set the price and the terms and, yeah. you know, neither of them were good. So we walked away. Yeah. It took us about three to four months to get to that point. Wow. Um, and, uh, that's okay. So we still, Jennifer and I still own hundred percent of the company and we, we, we got the 300 K in sales for sure. And then some, so, uh, overall, I mean, it's been a phenomenal experience and it's really trained, changed the trajectory of our company. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to ask just you know, you get the rush in after Shark Tank and then all the big kind of shopping holidays, but you can say that your business is at as it like a sustainable kind of new level because of that experience. Yeah, I can say um, our advertising performs a lot better now because we have this kind of social proof built in that we were on Shark Tank. We uh, were now able to keep up with orders in a way that we weren't before in terms of inventory. You know, part of our big challenge last year was selling out of products often because we just didn't have enough cash to like keep enough inventory on hand. So we had a bunch of cash flow in November that we were able to then dump into additional products. So all the money we made off of Shark Tank sales, we dumped into inventory. And it's, you know, thank God we did because we placed hu huge purchase orders in December that hit our warehouses in late mid-February, right before coronavirus. I was literally, so, yeah. as we were talking, yeah. I typed that note. Uh, yeah. So you, uh, obviously that's a win. Has the, I guess my question was just going to be, has it impacted you? I guess it would no. have had you not placed those orders or would it? Oh have? yeah, definitely would have. I mean, typically we're going into the new year, you know, behind. Yeah. Like the typical year, we're already behind, which then coronavirus would have made it even worse for us because our factories what are What are you hearing? I mean... Just from a supply chain and the people like me who run, you know, e-commerce or, you know, sell stuff online. I mean, everybody's having trouble getting stuff out of China, right? Because that's where everybody makes their stuff, you know, like it or not. That's that's the world's supply chain is yeah. China. Even if it's not China, like some part of your supply chain is going to depend on China, right. even if you're making in Japan or or the U.S. So, um, yeah, I got a lot of friends who are struggling. You know, they've got to kind of crank down their business this year and wow. kind of crank down their expectations in terms of what they can sell because they just can't get product, right? I mean, there's really no way around it. If I can't get product, I can't sell. Have it. you talked to the people in the factory, like the owner of the factory or the manager? Yeah, I'm still in direct communication with all of my people. It's just I I don't need anything from them. I'm, yeah. not, I don't, I'm not waiting on any orders from them. Well, if you watch the news or anything, they show these, you know, pictures of what's going on in China and Asia and it's just like these empty rooms and cities. Yeah. Is, is that what it's like really? Are the people going to work or do you know? Or uh, I Yeah, I can't speak to the, I know the pictures you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I can speak to the people I've been talking to and they're in their offices. Yeah. Um, I don't think the factories are 100% at capacity, but the office workers are at least coming in and, you know, yeah. I don't know that all the office workers are coming in, but all the people I deal with directly are, are coming in. Okay. They're all wearing masks on our conference calls, though. They always, 
I always feel like uh, it's common to wear a mask in Asia anyway. Yeah. Is yeah. It, so, so one of the things that you've tweeted uh, and just talk about a lot on Twitter um, is is using Shopify and. And ever since then, I've actually listened to some podcast episodes and done some reading on my own to find out kind of how great Shopify really is. Yeah. Let's just riff on it for a little bit. How sure. great is Shopify? <laughs> it's great. Uh, it's really great. So I owe, you know, I'm I I'm very loyal to the people that have helped me to succeed. And people can be companies. And Shopify is one of them. Um, so, so anybody, you know, listening who doesn't know what Shopify is like, they, they build the software that allows me to sell online. So you go to my website, you see my website, everything behind that website is run by Shopify. So, you know, my products, my, not my, you know, they don't make my products, but the, 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 the software they've built allows me to sell my products basically. And there are other people that do that big commerce, WordPress, WooCommerce, but nobody's as good as Shopify. Yep. Not even in the same league. And frankly, nobody's as affordable at Shopify. Our, our bill is pretty high now that we've kind of gone up in their ranking, but you can start at like 30 bucks a month or something right. selling stuff online. How do they bill you? By the volume or something? Yeah, no, it's, or well. Not tools that you use? Well, the, the tricky thing is they, they actually make all their money. They have their own payments provider called Shopify Payments. Mm-hmm. So they make all their money on like the two and a half, three percent that they charge on every payment. Got it. Which is not, uh, that's not shady. That's typical. Like yeah. PayPal's going to charge you that. Stri- anybody's going to charge you that. But they charge you that. So they make a bunch of money off of that. But uh, other than that, it's just a monthly subscription. There's like a $29.79 and a $2.99. And then there's something called Shopify Plus, which is 2000 bucks a month. And we, yeah. we just got on that. Why is Shopify better than everybody else? Uh, I mean, it's just more uh, user-friendly. Um, they have, it's kind of, you can kind of think of it like an iPhone versus like, I don't know if this is a great analogy, but like a BlackBerry or something. Yeah. You know, they've got a they've got an an app ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So there are a million different things you as a store owner might want to do with your store. Take pre-orders, show stuff is out of stock, you know, um, email marketing. There's all these other things that you yeah. have to do as a store owner that isn't ever going to be built into any store platform. So there are all these apps that you can plug into oh, your cool. store. So they've got a very robust, high-quality app ecosystem. We, we use probably 15 different apps to run our store. Um, that's everything from like QuickBooks, plugging into to Shopify, that's our accounting system, to our inventory management system, to you know our email system. I mean, everything plugs into Shopify. And then it's just super, super easy to use. So it's pretty fair to say if Shopify went down that would not be good for you. That would not be good. Do you ever think about like how big of a risk Shopify is to your business? Um, uh, no, I, I think more about like how much of a risk like Facebook is to my business. Yeah. But um, no, because Shopify, Shopify powers these huge, uh, huge, huge brands bigger than us. Yep. Um, so they're going to make a lot of other people. You know, Kylie Cosmetics, you know, yeah. I think they did like 300 million last year wow. or something. That, that could be could be off with that number, hundreds of millions. You know, so there are going to be other people knocking on their door before I do. For sure. <laughs> so I'm not worried. On the flip side of that, you stopped selling on Amazon and you've been a pretty yeah. uh, vocal kind of critic of what that experience was like. Yeah. I guess in short, they basically lowered your margins but copied most of your products pretty quickly and started selling them or is that? Yeah, I wouldn't say they copied is entirely fair. Um, they started advertising their razors on my product listings. So that's... Uh, one thing, but they do that to everybody. Yeah. Uh, the short of it is like, I'm not, I come off as very 
kind of anti-negative, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, but I'm not like super, super anti-negative on Amazon in general, but for me and my brand, I hate them. Yeah. Um, they've screwed me over too many times and I just, it's a game that I'm not willing to play. And I, I can't remember if we talked about this last time, but you know, uh, Jeff Bezos sets the rules and the rules get worse every year. Yeah. And, um, it's a game that some people are really good at and some people are making a lot of money off of. But it's, it's not a really great game if you're somebody like me who runs a small brand who like super high quality products and customer service is like what you want to do. Yeah. But if, you know, you're just selling cheap, you know, imported stuff that, you know, you don't really care what the customer thinks about it. Um, some people are making a lot of money doing that. But they can basically, like Amazon can see the margins that people are making. And so they can make, when you say the rules get worse every year, they yeah. continue to... They know where the margins are fat and where they can kind of get their piece or what? Kind of. It kind of used to be like that. And, you know, uh, without boring your audience, it's not really like that anymore. You you list, basically what happens is you list your products as a third-party seller, typically. There are other ways to do it, but the real standard way, you list as a third-party seller and then they just charge you a cut off of what you sell. So I think it's 15% uh, plus the fulfillment fee, which can be five to 10 bucks based on what it weighs. So they don't actually know what your margins are. When I say the rules get worse, it's just like, like I said, they start advertising on your products. If you have a really good product, they'll make their own product, their right. own version of it, um, which I've, there's a lot of examples of those. And then, of course, you know, they're going to rank their product ahead of yours and their listing. And, um, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, you're, you're playing by by their rules when you're when you're selling stuff on there. And I don't know, that's not a game I'm interested in playing. Yeah. Right now. Is that more of a, a bigger trend or is that just your opinion? Are you seeing that happen across the board? I think it's a trend because I know other people in the same boat. I think if you see, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not educated enough to make a really, really great comment on this. But I mean, uh, here's a great statistic. 50% of sellers on Amazon are actually Chinese sellers. You know, so the majority of sellers, less than 50 are uh, American sellers. So mm -hmm. like, and, and I'm not saying there's anything bad about the Chinese. Like I get some of my products from China. That's not my point. My point is, Bezos is not necessarily acting in the interest of business owners like me. Right. And he's not, he's certainly not acting in the interest of high quality products on yeah. Amazon. There's millions of Wall Street Journal articles that have, that have proved that, you know, there's counterfeits, there's fakes, there's stuff that, you know, people take out of trash cans and sell. So anyways, long story short, like if they don't start cleaning this up, um, you're going to have a lot of, a lot of more stories like me, you know, Nike came off of there, Birkenstock came off of there. Um, there are other kind of, I don't remember off the top of my head, but there are other large examples of brands pulling off of there cause they're tired, tired of playing this game. Has it impacted your business since you got off? No, I mean, we took an immediate dip, right? Cause we yeah. basically took 20% of our sales off the table, right? but we got it back pretty quickly. Yeah. How'd <laughs> you get it back? They still like people went and looked for you on Amazon, couldn't find you. And so they just went and found you. I think that's part of it. And the, the flip side is for me, at least, because we have a very unique product, right? We don't sell like our, our razors. We sell razors, obviously, which are commodities, but it's a very unique razor. So if people are buying our product on Amazon, typically they've already heard of us right. and they're searching for it on Amazon. Yeah. So it, it just stopped people from at first, I, and here's the thing, I would pay for Facebook ads to introduce them to my brand, bring them to my website. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, I want to buy that. And then they go over to Amazon, they'd search for my razor, and then they'd buy it there. So I'd pay Facebook a tax, and then I'd pay Amazon a tax. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm just not paying that double tax anymore, basically.
what did you mean when you said that you worry more about Facebook than you do about <laughs> Shopify? Uh, I mean, like like a lot of direct consumer brands, uh, a lot of our growth is fueled by Facebook, Instagram advertising. Uh, we do Google as well, and you know, it's just it's not sustainable, right? I mean, we we can have the acquisition costs are rising conversation if you want to, yeah. but you know, it's not you know, it's not a surprising conversation. It's getting more expensive to to sell on on Facebook. And, uh, you know, so we're doing great right now. We have no issues with where we are right now, but, I, you know, you never know what's going to happen in For the future. Sure. So your your main uh, channels are what? Facebook, Instagram. How else, are you, how else do you reach customers? Is there anything you do that's like a hack or some unique way that you find people on the internet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily believe there are any hacks, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, we do... So Facebook and Instagram are by far the like primary bulk drivers of new prospecting traffic. So new customers to our website. But then we've got a whole, you know, kind of machine that we've built, which is, you know, built on everything from affiliate marketing, which is other websites, you know, promoting our stuff and getting a cut of anything they sell. Um, you know, SEO, search engine optimization. So we've, we've built up a great blog full of content that are pulling in. Uh, off of some keywords that people are searching on Google. You know, we do Google search as well, paid search. And then, you know, all the other million things we're trying to do to retain customers. Um, so once we get a customer, you know, e uh, we've got this huge email kind of program that we're sending them emails and updating them about thing, additional things they can buy. So there's a lot of a lot of smaller things that go into kind of this the system that we've built, but by far the biggest cog in that system is is Facebook and Instagram. Uh, so you, you build the machine. How often do you, is it something that you work on like every day and you're yeah. always tinkering with it or you kind of set it and let a month go by and then visit it again or how does that work? Yeah, um, it depends. So, uh, you know, as search engine optimization is, is a great example because, you know, you, you can, you can, um, you can drive a lot of traffic if you're targeting the right keywords. So we're constantly working on that. So that's a, you know, we're, we're publishing something once a week. Um, and so there's a strategy behind that. You know, our affiliate marketing program, that's a constant thing. So we have bloggers and Instagrammers and people that post about our stuff that are driving traffic. So that's an ongoing thing. But it's at kind of a lower level than, yeah. than Facebook in terms of budget and resources. Do you outsource SEO work or do you just do it internally? We, we do it internally. So yeah. you, how do you know what the list of great words are? So we're, we're not experts, but there are some great tools out there. One of them is called Ahrefs. Um, a, it's spelled A-H-R-E-F-S. And some phenomenal tools that, that can kind of help you understand what are some opportunities for, for better ranking. And, you know, we found things like how do you map your beard grain? You know, we come up number one on that. You know, how do you shave with a single blade? Um, or not that one, but like what's the difference between a double-edged razor and a single-edged razor, which is people ask that a lot about our question, our product. You know, that's number one for us. So it's kind of this, what they call a long tail of keywords that we're going after. And we're not going after like razor, right? Yeah. We're never going to rank for razor. But there are all these other kind of things that people are searching for that we can, we can start to rank for. Okay, well, kind of come full circle and wrap it up. Uh, you go on Shark Tank, your business is elevated. You now own, you still own 100% of your company. You're just doing a lot more revenue now than you were when we first met. What What does the, the rest of the year look like? And did your strategy kind of now that you sit here today, has it changed because of Shark Tank? Yeah. Yeah, it has changed. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it's changed. It's 
I've used this term a couple times. We're growing up as a business this year. And Shark Tank was the key driver in allow in putting us a place where we could do that. Right. Yeah. So when I say we're growing up, you know, um, we've got instead of shipping packages ourselves, we've got a warehouse in Austin receives all of our inventory. Like we've got pallets and pallets and pallets of stuff down there. You know, we've got tons of inventory. We're making some couple key hires this year, probably. Um, I'm, I'm probably making um, what will what will start off as like what I'm calling director of operations, but ideally eventually turn into like a COO role. Yeah. Um, and then we're, we're kind of diving deeper on the things that have worked up for us. So like I said, Facebook has worked well for us and we're going to continue to push that. And then we're able to do things we couldn't before because we have the margin at the bottom of our P&L that we, we never had before, right. to be entirely frank with you. So, you know, one of the other things we didn't talk about was we retooled our production line like right before Shark Tank that yep. si- significantly increased our gross margins yep. in a really meaningful way to, to where now we're, we're profitable in a way that we never were before. Yeah. Um, in a way that we can all st- stop thinking about, are we going to survive and pay the bills next month? And yep. we can start thinking about how do we best strategically position ourselves to be, you know, 3x what we did last year, yep. you know, this year, and then another 3x the next year. So that's that's kind of a, you know, real high level way of saying we're we're kind of doubling down. We've got wind in the sails and we're, we're doubling down on the success. And, and we're, we're, we're grateful because none of that would be possible, at least at the scale yeah. that we're at if we hadn't gone on Shark Tank. It definitely did anybody did other investors or other people reach out to invest in the company post Shark Tank? Was there a rush of that? Uh I can't say I, what's funny is we expected there to be like ton, you know, like yeah. you know, our phones ringing off the hook. Um we had maybe half a dozen people contact us kind of about investment and you know they were they were convers- short conversations. Yeah. Um so no, and and that's okay. Um, yeah, we're not. Well, they they probably thought you had a deal. And yeah, most people a, do. Most did anybody people offer to buy your company? We have had some of those conversations. Um, I don't think we're at the, at the point where we're ready to sell. Yeah. But um, you know, if yeah. somebody wants to pay me, you know, three x revenue. <laughs> <laughs> He's already negotiating, and he hasn't even met you yet. Uh, uh, so yeah, we'll uh, you know, we'll see what happens. That's great. Well. Yeah, this has been a fun conversation. It's uh, super unique to get to talk to someone who's had that experience. Um, I continue to be just a huge fan of, of what you're doing and appreciate you taking more time out of your day again to come visit with me. Likewise, I'm honored to be uh, one of the few that gets a second call back. That's it, man. I love <laughs> it. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode.